Peace be with you. Today's scripture reading is a selected text from John 11, 1 through 45. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along in your bulletin or on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who comes into the world. As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him, he asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Oh, he has risen. He has risen. He has risen. He has risen indeed. Amen. What a joy it is to be with you. For those of you who are first-time guests, uh, my name is Jamal. I am one of the pastors here today, and I am excited to be able to preach Jesus to you on a day that Christians all around the world uh, celebrate his resurrection. It is a story of, of coming back. It is a story of, of hope. It is a story that reminds us that the truth buried will always rise again. And even as we think about the resurrection of Jesus, uh, today we're going to look at the resurrection of a, another man by the name of Lazarus. Jesus, who is the most amazing man to have ever lived and to currently live, raises another man by the name of Lazarus from the dead. And the name Lazarus means the one who God, God helps. And my hope today and my prayer today is that God will help each of us indeed. So let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for uh, the story of Lazarus' resurrection. Uh, thank you, Father God, for a story that is dramatic and provocative, a miracle that teaches us a lot. And I pray at this time, Father God, that you would allow it to uh, open our imaginations and our hearts to you and that you would allow it to teach us through your spirit. I pray that you would just speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So narrative before you, know, we just read some selected texts uh, from the Gospel of John is one of the longest narratives in John's gospel and also just in uh, the New Testament in general. And it teaches us that that in Christ, uh, death is sleep. And that outside of Christ, death is death. That in Christ, we who have placed our faith and trust in him, we have reason to hope, we have reason to celebrate 
because hope lives on. And in the first three verses of this chapter, we see that the author establishes that two women named Mary and Martha track Jesus down uh, despite his busy schedule, and they find him to give him an important message. And the important message is, is that their brother, Lazarus, is sick. But in verse 3, they say this, Lord, the one you love is sick. So this is a relationship that Jesus has with his family, and it's a, an important relationship to Jesus. It is a relationship that's highlighted uh, like very few relationships that Jesus has in the Gospels. And what amazes me about the first three verses is that they were able to find Jesus given his busy schedule. And this is before cell phones, this is before house lines and all this other thing. Jesus is on a move constantly in the Gospels. He's going from village to village, from place to place. This is now at a point in his ministry where he is uh, needing to hide uh, because he just left Judea and, and uh, the religious leaders were looking to kill him because his popularity has grown so much. But somehow they know where Jesus is. Maybe he has a beeper or a pager, I don't know. But they're able to find him. They're keeping up with him. They're close to him. And they send word, yo, Lazarus is sick. And this is a deep, deep sickness. But in verse 4, we see that Jesus knows something that apparently no one else knows. He says that this sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God. This sickness will not end in death. Lazarus, um, who is sick, in a few verses we're going to learn, is going to die, and yet Jesus says that it's not going to end in death. But then he says it's, it's for the glory of God. When the Bible talks about the glory of God, it is speaking of the weight of God, the supreme worth of God. The glory of God is the intrinsic value of God made public. It's his characteristics, it's his power, it's his beauty, it's his immutability, it is his perfect character put on display. And the marvel of this text is that God is going to be glorified in death. And this story is a typology, that is, it is a story that points us to a larger story. The story points us to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is a foreshadowing of things to come. In fact, at the end of this story, we see that the religious leaders, after they see that Jesus has done the seemingly impossible by raising Nazareth from the dead, they are going to conclude this in verse 48. They say, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So Jesus is about to die. Jesus is going to be killed. Jesus is going to be crucified because the religious leaders want to stamp out his glory. They want to hinder his fame from going forth. And yet Jesus tells us that Lazarus is going to die or, or, or is going to be, he's going to be raised from the dead so that his fame will go on in the same way that Jesus is going to die and be raised from the dead so that God's glory will go on. God sometimes is glorified in mysterious ways. Sometimes God is glorified through suffering, pain, and hurting. Sometimes he is glorified in the midst of, of mess and confusion and loss. Now, verse 5 says, Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. 
So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. This is very interesting. In verse 5, John says that Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. Now, this word here uh, for love is not the same word that's used in verse 3. In verse 3, when Mary and Martha send word to Jesus, they say, uh, your disciple whom you love um, is sick. That word love there is a brotherly love. Uh, It is a, a friendship love. But here, when it says that uh, Jesus uh, loved Martha and Mary, this word is the word uh, agape, or agape, as we come to say it, right? This is a a divine love. This is a a, a God love. This is an unstoppable love. This is the highest type of love. Jesus loved them in a way that they, they couldn't even explain or describe. And yet, you would expect for it to say, that once Jesus heard that Lazarus was dead, that Jesus went to one of his disciples, he found a horse, and he rode it as fast as he could to be with Lazarus. Uh, But that's not what happens. Upon hearing that Lazarus was sick and that he was dying, Jesus does not hop on a horse, but in verse 6, it says, so. So he what? So he stayed behind for two more days. Jesus is less than a day's travel away from where they are, and he hears that his close friend, who he loves with a divine love, with an unstoppable love, with a, a, a godly love, he doesn't run to the scene, but rather he delays. And here's the truth, and here's the tough truth. That God's love is not like our love. When we think of love, we think of always coming to the rescue, We think of saving someone from any pain. We think of of cuddling and coddling and and, and always being able to protect. But it's interesting that God loves with a divine love, and yet God chooses when Mary and Martha are at at a very low point not to run immediately to their rescue, but to allow them to go through pain and grief and suffering. And then somehow God is going to be more glorified in them going through this pain. Somehow God is going to be more glorified in them going through this deep and dark suffering. Somehow God is going to be more glorified in Jesus being laid in the tomb for three days than had he not died. Verses 7 to 10, Jesus tells his disciples that he must go back to Judea. And his disciples are like, you've got to be out your mind. They tried to kill you there, but Jesus presses on anyhow. In verse 11 through 14, we see that the disciples come to Jesus and they let him know that Lazarus is dead. And Jesus is still delaying. I imagine, this is just me imagining, no hate on my imagination, but I imagine that Jesus is having some Cheerios, right? And he's enjoying breakfast and they're like, yo, Lazarus is dead. You've got to go back. You've got to go back. We've got to go there. We've got to hurry up. And Jesus keeps eating his Cheerios. And he tries to like give them a foreshadowing of what he's all about. He's like, Lazarus is not dead, he's asleep. And they're like, no, you don't understand. Like he's dead. And Jesus is like, no, he's not dead, he's asleep. They're like, Jesus, I'm telling you, we got an email this morning. The man is dead. And finally Jesus is like, okay, he's dead, right? (laughs) There was an episode of Roseanne uh, years ago. (laughs) See, I thought the other thing would make y'all laugh, but Roseanne, I, 
and uh, Jackie is on the phone after her and Roseanne's father has died. And it's a serious episode. All of a sudden, Jackie is on the phone talking to a loved one, and she's like, hey, I just called to tell you that dad is dead. And the lady can't hear on the other line. She's like, no, dad is gone. Dad is gone. No, dad is dead. Dad is dead, right? And this is Jesus. He's like, no, like, he's not dead. He's sleeping. Anyhow. All right, so Jesus <laughs> continues on, and he's, he, he tries to have this moment with them, and they're just not getting it. So verse 15, 14 says, so Jesus then told them plainly, Lazarus has died. Verse 15, and he says these words, I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe. But let's go to him. I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe. So let's go to him. That's actually love. That's actually God having a bigger picture of his disciples' sanctification and growing to look more like Jesus. And so the story continues in verses 17 through 18, and it says this, when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in a tomb for four days. Now, this is an important fact because according to Jewish tradition, uh, once a person was dead for four days, they were pronounced dead, dead, okay? They believed that the body kind of hovered around, the soul hovered around the body for three days. And there was almost a sense of hope that, that something within those three days could happen. But the text is very clear to say that it was the fourth day that Jesus waited. So Jesus waits to everyone has kind of concluded that there's no way Lazarus is coming back. And verse 18, Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away. So this was a short trip away. As I said earlier, it was way less than a door uh, away, uh, a day's trip away from Jerusalem. It says, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha had heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So these professional mourners, these family members, they all come uh, from Jerusalem uh, to comfort Martha and Mary. Uh, mourners back then, uh, people would actually pay for mourners to come into their house and to mourn. And normally when a close loved one died, you would mourn for seven days. You would fast, you would tear and rent your clothes. Um, and there would have been professional flute players all around. And, and they really re took time to reflect on death. They really took time to reflect on death. So Jesus is coming from one way. People are coming from Jerusalem. Then Martha runs to Jesus and she says these words, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then we're going to see a few verses later that Mary is going to come to where Jesus was. And she's going to see him. And it says, and she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then in verse 37, we're going to see that the crowds are all around and they're watching this very intense scene. And they say, couldn't he who had opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? So feel the tension. Feel the breeze of the air. Smell the the aroma of the dust, sense the agony and the pain of these who love Jesus, who are in his inner circle, who was close to him. See this family who had, had seen him heal a blind man. 
See this family who had heard about him raising the widow's son in, in a small village called Nan from death. See them uh, painfully wondering, why did Jesus not come to our aid? He has healed lepers. Why did he not heal Lazarus? Why did Jesus not tell Lazarus to rise from the dead as he did with the little girl in the room when he cleared out everybody and said, Tilitha Kuma, little girl arise. Why has he, why has he not done this? And not only why has he not done this, like, 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 why didn't he at least show up? I mean, it's one thing not to raise him from the dead, but, but why not show up for the funeral? Why miss the funeral? Where are you? God, where are you? And isn't this the question that we all have had to live with, that we've all had to grapple with, that we've all had to wrestle with? My God, where are you? Like, Lord, I've, I've prayed to you over and over, and it just seems like my prayers aren't being answered. Lord, where were you when my mom died of cancer? You've healed others who had cancer. Why not my mom? Where were you when my child was diagnosed? Where were you when I lost my job, a job that I loved and was happy with? Suffering and death is a part of the human experience because we stay in a fallen world that is impacted by original sin of Adam and Eve and the curse, the curse of death. And as humans, we all wrestle with death and we all wrestle with suffering. C.S. Lewis in his book, A Grief Observed, recounts the painful loss that he had of his wife who died to cancer. He says, I can't understand why God is always there when things are going well, telling you what he expects from you. But go to him when your need is desperate, when all of the help is vain. And what do you find? A door slammed in your face and the sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. And after that silence, you may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence will become. There are no lights in the windows. It might as well be an empty house. Was it ever inhabited? It seemed so once. Why is God so present a commander in our time of prosperity and so very absent in help in our time of trouble? And this wasn't C.S. Lewis as an unbeliever. This was C.S. Lewis as a mature Christian having walked with God for, for many years. Now, though Lewis would later reflect and see how God met him in his pain, it it does allow us to, to kind of sit in Mary and Martha's experience, but also in our own. And it's in moments of turmoil, it's in moments of pain, it's in moments of, of suffering that we, we are faced with three different opportunities to respond. One, we can respond to our disappointment. We can respond to our loss and our grief by allowing it to drive us away from God. Two, we can respond to our loss and our grief by allowing it to make our hearts apathetic towards God. I mean, we have dreams uh, for living long lives with people we love, for enjoying the things that God has seen to bless us with. And sometimes when heartache and pain comes and, and when we experience trauma, it, it hurts us. 
It sets us back, and what we are tempted to do is just to play it safe with God, to say, God, I believe, but there's so much uncertainty in my heart, and I I just need to take a step back from you. Or three, we can allow our disappointment, we can allow our loss to draw us deeper into God. We can allow that pain that hits to draw us like a nail deeper into the Father. And so as we think about Jesus in the scene and we think about the suffering that they are experiencing, we have to think and, and, and realize that God is always up to something, even in our brokenness, even in our pain, even in our, our suffering. And the beauty that this text shows is that, that not only is Jesus most concerned about his glory and God's glory, but it's that Jesus feels deeply when the people that he loves hurt. It's one thing for us to say that God is is somehow glorified uh, and can be glorified in our suffering and our loss and our pain. But it's another thing to say that, yes, he can be glorified in it, but he also deeply hurts when we hurt. And this is what we see in this text, that Jesus comes and he draws near to this family with both great theology, but also great tears. In verse 23, Jesus responds, he says, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who comes into the world. Jesus comes to her and says, listen, I am the resurrection and the life. Now notice what Jesus says. Did not say he did not say I am the uh, 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 I am the recitation, right? He's not about to recitate Lazarus. He's the resurrection, and not only is he the resurrection, he's not saying that I uh, will resurrect simply will resurrect him. He says no, I am the resurrection and I am the life. In other words, all life is given through me, whether it's a, a butterfly or a baby. I am the one that's responsible for life. I am the one that's responsible. For breath in lungs, it is me. I'm the source of life. Earlier in John, Jesus is going to say, I, I am the bread of life. He's going to, to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And as Christians, we believe that Jesus is the very definition of life. But not only does he give us this truth, but, but he also sheds tears. Verse 35, Jesus shows us that a great theology isn't enough when someone is grieving and someone is hurting. We also need to see tears. When someone is in pain, um, it's one thing to, to know the truth and to say the truth to them. But even, even more than that, sometimes it's just good just to sit with people and to weep with them. The Bible says Jesus wept. Verse 36, so the Jews says, see how he loved him. And this word wept is not like a cute little cry where it's just a tear coming down his eye. This word Jesus wept is an image of, of him bursting into tears. It's a loud expression of grief. In fact, the NLT gets this translation right when it says that a deep anger welled up with him and he was deeply troubled. He was deeply troubled. When Jesus saw the scene of 
Mary and Martha and all these people around him, twice it says he was deeply troubled, a, a term that often speaks of anger in the New Testament. I mean, he was hurting. He was in, in pain with them. He was angry, and he wasn't angry with Martha and Mary. He was angry at the heartache of, of sin and death that had been brought into the world as a result of the fall. And Jesus, after he says that Lazarus will live again, he asks an important question, a question that you and I have to grapple with this morning. He says, do you believe that? This is a theme throughout John 11. Eight times in 45 verses, the word believe appears. In verse 40, uh, Jesus uh, says uh, to Mary and Martha that these things were, were done so that you might believe. God is after, after our belief. Jesus, in verse 34, asks an important question. He says, where have you put him? He's grieved at the scene. He sees the pain in everyone's eyes. He's being questioned by everyone. Why didn't you come? If only you had been here, how could you heal a blind man in John chapter 9 but not come to the aid of your own uh, uh, dear brother? And he says, where have you put him? And that's the question of the morning. As I get ready to take my seat, it's simply, where have you put him? Jesus, in other words, says, why don't you just show me where you laid him? Show me the grave. And for all of us here today, we have to grapple with that question as we deal with our own suffering, our own trauma, our own pain. Jesus is asking you this morning, where have you placed hope? Where did you give up? Was it at the outcome of that marriage? Where have you laid hope? Was it at the betrayal of that friend? Where have you lost hope? Was it in the classroom with a, a science teacher? Where have you lost hope? Was it with the passing of a loved one? Was it with the loss of a job? Where have you buried hope? Show it to Jesus. What has made you apathetic? What has allowed you to begin to, to coast? Where did you stop fighting sin? Where have you lost hope? Where have you given up on the power of God? Show Jesus where you've laid them. Take them. Take them abroad to the sufferings of those who are, are hungry. Take them to the, to the ills of this community and those who are lost with murder. Show him where you laid hope. Verse 41, Jesus walks up to the grave. They remove the stone and he prays to God the Father knowing that, that God has sent him into the world for such a time as this. In verse 43, it says that he shouts with a large shout, Lazarus, come out. And the Bible says that this dead man who has on grave clothes stumbles out of the grave. What a, a glorious scene that Lazarus comes out of the grave with grave clothes on, looking Jesus in the eye. And I love that Jesus, when he calls him out, that he yelled. He yelled with authority and with power. And just a, a few weeks later, he's going to defeat death himself, and he's going to stand on a mountain before he ascends to heaven, and he's going to say, all power in heaven and earth is in my hand. He yells, Lazarus, come 
out of that grave. I love that he said Lazarus. He had to say Lazarus. What would have happened had he not said Lazarus? Had he not said Lazarus, every grave in Judea would have opened. <laughs> Lazarus, come out. And he probably got more specific than that. Lazarus, Mary and Martha's brother, come out of that grave. Because 10 Lazarus would have showed up. He would say, I'm sorry, y'all, not y'all. Y'all go back to sleep. Uh, y'all go back to sleep. You, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, get up. What, what do you need to yell at today in your life? Under the authority and the power of God, get up. God is able to raise whatever it is that you've given up on. He's able to raise hope, hope in your heart. I also wonder what the faces of those at the grave looked like. Maybe they looked like Tiger Woods' family last weekend. It's like, oh, snap, he did it. Or Tiger Woods, right? Maybe it looked like Tom Cruise on Oprah's couch. I hope not. Tom lost a lot of credit. Everybody like, that man's lost it, right? Maybe it looked like Jordan crying at his Hall of Fame speech. Well, I just don't... You know, uh, I just, I'm just so great. I just don't know what to do with myself. <laughs> I don't know. But I do know that God was glorified. And my message to you here today is, in Christ, death is but sleep. And outside of Christ, death is death. Without Christ, you're dead. Like dead, dead. Like for real. Without Christ, you have no hope. You have no hope that one day God will wipe away every tear. Without Christ, we are just an experiment of the cosmos and the universe. We are just random species that happen to develop that, that may or may not do good. Without Christ, we are God. We determine what happens, what is life, what is not life, and where everything ends. And that scares me, and it should scare you too. But in Christ, there's a message that there is a God who is sovereign, who sits high and who looks low, and that he loves us with a profound love, a love that allowed him to give his only son so that we might have life. And we're a part of a greater story that says, yes, things are messed up. Yes, there is devastation. Yes, there is pain. Yes, there is sin. And sin binds, blinds, and grinds. But sin and death and suffering and trauma does not have the final word. My question to you today is, do you believe this? Just a few chapters later, a woman's going to run to another grave, and this is a different Mary, and it's Jesus' grave. And she runs there three days after he was crucified on the cross, a public execution before all, and she's going to take care of his body, but his body's not there, and angels are there. And then a conversation ensues with the angels, and they say, why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? Why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? And then Jesus shows up as a gardener with them. And, she, and he tells her, go back and tell my disciples 
that I'm alive. And it was so hard for them to believe, even though he told them countless times in the weeks leading up to his death that the Son of Man is going to die and be buried, but on the third day he's going to rise with all power in his hand. And they went and they saw Jesus. And the Bible says that he appears to over 500 people. And that these people, they go crazy and they share this good news with, with everyone all over Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And just three centuries later, there are six million Christians in the world despite being persecuted. Some of them would be stripped and hung upside down and, and nailed to crosses. And they would have their skin peeled from their bones because they will not recant what they have seen. And Jesus would literally take 12 men, which would turn to 120, which would turn to 500, and turn the world upside down. Ordinary people who had seen an empty tomb. There's historical data. For some of us, we believe the lie. Well, Pastor Jamal, if I was there, I would believe too. But the truth is, if you don't believe now, you would not have believed if you were there. In another story, Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells the parable of a rich man named Lazarus. It's not the same Lazarus. And when he tells this parable, he gives this powerful picture in the parable of Abraham. It says this, but Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. And so Lazarus in this parable is saying, can I go back from death so that I could tell my brothers and, my, my brothers and warn them of, of hell? This is the rich man speaking in this parable. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. But he told them if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. The issue of believing is not seen. The religious leaders of the day, they, seen, they saw Lazarus raised from the dead. They saw the miracles. They saw that Jesus was doing amazing things, and yet they yelled, crucify him. The issue is not seeing with your eyes. The issue is seeing with your hearts. And the only way that we can see Jesus as the resurrected king is if we come to a place of being desperate and begging God to open the eyes of our hearts so that we can see him. And so if you're here today and you're not a believer and you say, yes, I will believe, I would have believed too if I saw a man who was dead rise again, I'm telling you, you would not have believed. The only way that you come to believe is by falling on your face, asking God for mercy and asking him to reveal himself to you. Say, Lord, I need new eyes and I need a new heart so that I too can say he has risen indeed. And the Bible says that if you confess with your heart, with your mouth and believe in your heart that Christ, uh, that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. And today's invitation for you today is to stop believing in your own intellect, in your own power, in your own works, in your own righteousness, in your own good deeds, and to see that your good deeds, your righteousness, your intellect cannot save you, that the only works that allow you to be saved is Jesus' works and what he's done for you on the cross. See that you are a sinner in need of a Savior and that Jesus is the Savior who has come into the world 
that he has taken his, your sin upon him, that he's buried it in a tomb, and that he has given you his righteousness. And that, that those who believe that by faith are those who have eternal life welling up on the inside. And so if there's a disappointment, if there's a tragedy that is keeping you from seeing Jesus clearly today, I want you to say, Jesus, here's the tomb. Show him where you laid it and beg him to give you life. And every Sunday we gather together as Christians to remind ourselves of the goodness of Jesus by taking a meal together called communion. The night was Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. He took a cup and said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood shed for you. Christian, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Here at Sojourn, we take a piece of bread, we dip it in wine or juice. The wine is marked by twine. You can take whatever your conscience permits. Again, as Christians, every week we take this meal to point us backwards to the death of Jesus, but to ground us in the, in the presence. As a family, we take this in community amongst one, one another saying, we believe, Lord, help our unbelief. But we also take this meal pointing us forward to the day when Jesus will return and God will be most glorified as he rends the sky open with the sound of a trumpet. And he reminds us that he is a promise keeper. And so today, as you take this meal on Resurrection Sunday, take it, Christian, with hope. And if you're not a Christian, we just want to invite you just to rest and to think about where you laid your hope. And know that we have all sat in that seat before, wondering if this good news is truly good news. And we're praying for you. Let's pray.